Well, we're in a series that we've entitled A Life in Focus. We've been taking some weeks just talking about some of the key aspects uh, of the most important relationships that we have. Over the last two weeks, we've discussed the issue of marriage. We talked about the marital roles of husband and wives from Ephesians chapter 5 two weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about more of the practical end of the relationship between a husband and a wife. But today we look at um, Paul's words to the single individuals out there. We spent two weeks talking about the married individuals, and, and there's another whole uh, group of individuals within our church and within our world uh, that Paul shares a good word about, and we want to look at that this morning. A couple months ago, uh, the elders got what I would call one of the most gracious letters that we've received uh, by a group of individuals. They were all singles in our congregation. And it was a lengthy letter. It was not a a short one. It it had some length to it. But I would also add that it had great substance to it. And these individuals, these single individuals within our church had gotten together and talked about some of the concerns and questions they had for us as a elder leadership team and as a church about how we are responding to them as a group. And I got to tell you, it was an enlightening letter. We spent a lot of time focused in on the family and we need to do that. It's an important component in our church and an important component in the world uh, but they brought to our attention some real areas of needs that that don't involve the family. In fact, um, they go sometimes totally opposite of where the family is at. And I have to tell you, I was so uh, proud of those individuals that wrote that letter because it opened the eyes of the elders uh, to preach and to teach things like we will this Sunday and to talk about the significant role that singles, whether young or old in our congregation have to our fellowship. And that's what I want to talk about this morning because this is a subject that does not get much attention. It has not in in the years that I've been uh, preaching here at the church. But I don't want you to think that that underestimates your role or your place uh, in this uh, church. So today we're going to invest some time getting our focus on the life of a single individual, and I pray that this would be of great importance. Now, some of our married individuals are saying, oh, I don't have to listen this morning. Well, that's not true. Always we know that God's Word is profitable. There are things for us to glean from this morning. And maybe today you find yourself in a marriage relationship. I don't want you to make your uh, mind or your heart go to the individual, that single individual sitting down the pew from you. I want you to ask the question, how can I be Christ? How can I be an encouragement? How can I love the individual who's not married? How can I make sure that I don't make their marital status the number one focus of our conversation, of our dialogue, of our fellowship? How can I pray for that individual in a more profound way, in a way that differs than saying, Lord, help them find the person on eHarmony.com? That's not what they're asking for. They're asking for you to be their brothers and sisters in Christ. And we want to look at this, look at that this morning. And it's an important subject. 
In fact, of all the demographics that statisticians do of adults, the singles demographic is the fastest growing in the last 10 years. In fact, from 1970 to today, the singles population has grown a whopping 385%. It's an amazing demographic. Statisticians say that it's off the charts. In fact, right now, uh, in the year 2006, a a study was done trying to understand how many uh, married individuals are there per hundred people. And it came to a record low of all time that numbers had been kept. Only 54% of all Americans right now are married. And that is of adults. You say, well, of course, there's a lot of kids in the world that aren't married. It has nothing to do with kids. 54% of adults, 18 and older, are married. That leaves a whopping 46% uh, in our world that are unmarried. And so this is an important subject for us to talk about and to understand what God's will is for those uh, who are single. The other thing that I saw, was, uh, which was uh, quite revealing to me, a study was done in year 2007, where it was a study done by the Family uh, Research Institute, I believe it was, and, and it was telling us that now people are waiting 3.4 years on average longer to get married. I think the uh, average age of marriage in uh, 2007 was uh, somewhere around 23.4 years of age. And men and women, it was a little different. But now it is in the high or the upper 20s where the average individual is now getting married. And they say the trend continues to grow. So we've got a couple things here. Number one, more people are unmarried than ever before in our society. And number two, we've got a greater group of individuals who are waiting longer. And so a word to the singles from uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians is a needed word for us today. Now it needs to be the goal of the church. And I pray that it's the goal of our church that we would minister to all people. But so many times when we get into some of these fringe demographics, we, we many times find ourselves not speaking to them on the subject. They're wanting to know what they're to do. They want to know how to live. And, and for singles, many of them are just waiting for any word that would, would speak to them in a church service. One day, a pastor was uh, praying before his church, and he said, Oh, Lord, give us clean hearts. Give us pure hearts. And Lord, give us sweet hearts. And all the singles in the congregation yelled, Amen. They'll take any word that they can get because we've been far too silent on the issue. They don't know what to do. They don't know whether they should be praying for a spouse or not praying for a spouse. They don't know what they should be doing in the area of ministry. And the word speaks to them this morning. A a young lady came to her pastor asking her why her prayers for a future husband were not being answered. She said, Pastor, each week you see me going to the altar every service and asking God to give me a husband. Why doesn't God answer my questions? The pastor said, it's because you're praying selfishly. You're asking for something for yourself. So the next service, the girl went down to the altar and was overheard praying by the congregation, Oh God, I ask with all my heart that you would give my mother a good-looking son-in-law. Whatever your prayer may be this morning, single, 
the Bible makes it clear that you don't have to worry about praying selfishly. That whatever it is, that it would be that the Lord would lay an individual before you, uh, that you pray the desires of your heart. That you pray that the Lord would keep every uh, person away from you in that arena. That God would give you the desires of your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 speaks a word that we need to hear this morning. So I'd ask that you would turn uh, to God's word if you haven't gotten there yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 7 through 9. And then we're going to pick up Paul's argument and uh, discussion in verses 26 through 40. So I'd ask that you would stand as we walk through 1 Corinthians 7, getting a word to the singles in our congregation, into this world. This is what our text says, starting in verse 7. Paul says to the church at Corinth, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Go down to verse 26 now. He picks it up. I guess we'll start, we'll start in verse 25. Now about virgins or unmarried individuals. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. All the married people go, whew. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. There's a reason for that. We'll talk about that in a moment, okay? Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as they were not. Those who buy something as it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in an undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting inappropriately uh, or improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, then he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who does marry the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A man is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. 
In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we deal with a particular text where it seems that your author of this, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is moving back and forth in a discussion. Lord, we know that the book uh, to the Corinthians is a book answering some key questions about the Christian faith and how we as people in the church ought to live. And so, Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts and our minds this morning to what your word has to say. Lord, that this would be of great encouragement to those who are uh, wondering about the future, who are trying to figure out, Lord, are they called to be single? Are they called to be married? Lord, what they should be looking for in a spouse or what they should be looking for in ministry. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would be a church that lives as Paul talked about, that lives knowing that time is short, And whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, that we would remain in them and that we would live for you. That, Father, we would do all things for you and because of you. So, Lord, go before me this morning as we open your word and as we look to glean from its truth. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. As we look at Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we uh, have to understand it is counter-cultural. It was when Paul wrote the text, and it is today. And so to understand fully what he's talking about, we have to, if you will, uh, take away some of the myths of singleness. There are four myths that I want to quickly address before we get into our text this morning about singleness or about being married. The first myth that we need to understand and we need to put to rest is that the myth that marriage is the only God-ordained lifestyle. If an individual who doesn't know anything about church, who doesn't know anything about God, walks into our uh, church this morning, they would see a lot of couples, a lot of families together, and they would think that uh, the way to go in the Christian life is to be a married individual with a family. And while that's good, and you're going to hear me keep going back because Paul does too, what he says is, okay, he says being single is good, but being married is good. Uh, marriage is good, but, but being single is good. It's like he keeps going back and forth because he wants to address two good things. Both marriage and being single are good. And so we need to recognize the first myth is it's not the only God-ordained lifestyle. Yes, in Genesis, we see in the garden that God institutes marriage. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that everyone must be married. What it does say is, if you are going to be married, there are certain parameters by which you must live. Now, what are some examples? There are two incredible examples of single individuals that I want to talk about. The first one is the author of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul. No time does Paul ever spend in any marriage. He's single all of his life. And he says it's good. He says it's productive. He says it is a healthy lifestyle if that is what you are called to. The second example that we see of someone living a fulfilled life is the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He lived for 33 years. And never did he enter into any kind of, that we know of, of any relationship with a woman at all, nor a marriage relationship. And look at what Christ did. 
Look at all the things that Christ accomplished, namely our own salvation from sin. So that should dispel the rumor that marriage is the only God-ordained lifestyle. The second myth is is that uh, the grass is greener for those who are married. That the grass is greener for those who are married. Now, some of you are, are thinking today, because God has wired within you a desire to be married and a desire to have children, you're looking with great affection on those who are married. And you sit there and say, that's where I want to be. Now, that is a, you know, a perspective. I remember I got married pretty young. I was 21 years of age when I married Amanda. And many of my friends during that time did not see marriage as a plus, but as a hindrance. They were going and having a good time. They were going and enjoying uh, getting together and not having to worry about things. And they'd say, oh, but Tim, Tim's married. Tim needs to stay home and do these things. And now I watch, and the perspective for some of those individuals has changed. They say, now I want to be married. And that's the problem with having the concept of the grass is always greener. Because we look at something we do not have, and we say we're missing out. There are some married individuals today that are saying, I wish I was single. I wish right now I could go and do what I want. There are parents here today who love their children, but would amen this phrase, it'd be nice not to have the kids around for a couple weeks. Now, to illustrate that, just a a reminder, be careful what you're saying during these uh, summer months when your windows are open. We were having a family uh, conversation last night, and uh, I was working at my desk, and it's a second floor office that looks out to the sidewalk, and Amanda was dealing with some, uh, what we will call folly in our middle child. Our son takes all of Amanda's new makeup and puts it all over his face, and Amanda's livid. She is upset, and rightly so, okay? It's all brand, I mean, it's not even out of the box yet brand new, okay? And, and Amanda asks the question, she says, Joshua, are you a boy or a girl? I need an answer. And right then, I look out, and a single man who's, who lives just two doors down, looks up at the window and just starts laughing. Now, I can assure you, he may have been saying as he was walking by, man, it would be nice to be married. But when he walked by the Bedal house, he was saying, thank God I'm single. (laughs) The grass is always greener. Now, the saying is, is that the grass is always greener on the other side because you can't see the poop over there. (laughs) I know some of you are struggling to hear the word poop, and I just said it again. But it's true. It's true. We like the other side because we don't understand the dynamics that the other individual in the other yard is dealing with. And that's true when it comes to being married or single. The grass is always going to be greener because of our perspective that we're looking at. The next thing we see is that myth number three is my life uh, plus someone else equals happiness. My life plus someone else equals happiness. Now understand this. You have heard me say, and I will not uh, apologize for it, I love being married to my wife. 
She brings me great happiness. She brings me great fulfillment. And I would pray that every man or every husband and every uh, wife in this place would be able to say that. But I will say it with a disclaimer. My wife is not all of my happiness. My wife is not all my fulfillment. The complete fulfillment and happiness that I have cannot come from anybody in this world, but only from Jesus Christ. She's important to me, and so are my kids. But if I make her my life, if I make my kids my life, or any other individual my life, then I will tell you something. They will let you down, and they will let you down very quickly. They're important. But nobody, you plus nobody else equals happiness unless that base there is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's the only one that can promise that He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's the only one who can meet us in every trial and tribulation that we face. He's the only one who has laid down their lives for us that we might have eternal life. Is it, a, is it something? Yes, we all have friendships. And we all understand the happiness that comes from friendships. But it's a myth that marriage means you're going to be happy. Number four, singleness produces loneliness while marriage produces intimacy. If that was the case, then there wouldn't be so many sermons on marriage. If, if it was so easy as marriage equaling intimacy, then we wouldn't have all the counseling issues that we do. The myth, the idea that marriage is going to bring happiness and it's going to bring closeness because you share a bedroom is, is, is insane because it's not true. Yeah, you have to work towards that. You have to strive towards it. It's hard work. It isn't easy to stay in love with someone. Oh, it starts out that way, but it becomes very difficult at times because you're dealing with two individuals who at different times are going to think different things. There are many married people here today who would say that they're quite lonely that live in a home with someone else, uh, but they're two ships passing along in a great big ocean. And there are singles here today who have deep and profound friendships that rival any, any marriage, any amount of intimacy that you may have in the area of communication and love and affection. So these are some of the myths. There may be more, but these are some main ones that we need to understand. The idea here is is that there's great happiness in being single. There's great happiness in being married. Wherever you may find yourself, the understanding of how to attain that happiness is being content in where you're at for whatever season it may be in and working as hard as you can to be God-honoring in whatever place God has called you to. That's where happiness is found. That is where intimacy is found, whether you're single or married. Let's get to the text now. Paul addresses what I think are four key things about the single life in this text. This isn't an easy text because he's answering a question from the people uh, when he writes uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. This is a letter to the church at Corinth. And now, Look at the first verse of chapter 7. This helps us understand why he writes in such a way. He says, now for the matters you wrote about. They had written the Apostle Paul, and it was kind of ask the Apostle uh, your question. And at some point, they must have written about the dynamics of being married or being single. Now you would say, Tim, why would that be such a, a big thing? 
Well, during the writing of, of Paul's day and the writing of 1 Corinthians, the, the culture was that marriage was it. You got married. You grew up, and once you moved out of your, your parents' home, you became a married individual. And there were a lot of reasons why. The Orthodox Jews at that time said that if you uh, were not married, you killed your posterity, and you broke the command of God to, to cleave to a, uh, a, a spouse and to be fruitful and multiply. And so there were rabbis during that day that would say, if you are an individual who never got married, you were sinning. And so the first Corinthian, uh, the, the people in, uh, in Corinth at the writing of first Corinthians have a question. They say, we're no longer under the law. We're no longer sitting under these rabbis. Paul, what does the Lord say about this? Now, there's a part in the text where it says it is not from the Lord, but from Paul. And people say, see, uh, Paul's writing on his own. He's not even asking God what what is uh, what God's perspective is on that. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul says is when he says, this is from me, this is my command, not from the Lord. It's still inspired. It's still under the inerrancy of Scripture. But the thing that what Paul is saying is, is Jesus never talked about this. This was something that didn't come up in Jesus's public teachings. And so I'm going to articulate what the answer to your question is. And so during this text, he defines or deals with some things. And the first one is, he says, how does the Bible define the single life? The first thing he wants to be able to address is how does the Bible define it? Now, in our midst today, I don't know what percentage it is, but it's a decent percentage of singles in our midst. You'd say, well, they don't see, they don't have a youth group, okay? They don't have a small group where they all are together. They find themselves interacting with us in a greater, as a greater group of individuals. So we don't know how many we have. I'm sure we could figure that out, but it's not that important. But we need to understand that in that singles group, there are many different dynamics of why they're single, how long they've been single, if they choose to be single for the rest of their life or for a temporary time. And so I've broken down two definitions of single individuals. The first one that we see is those who are single by circumstance. Those who are single by circumstance. Let me explain what I mean by that. You may want to write these down because there's a variety of them. Those who are single by circumstance are, number one, too young to be married. Those who maybe are out of high school, maybe in college, and not that you can't get married at that point, but that's just not where they're at in life. They're not thinking marriage at this point. The second group are those who have never been asked to be married. They're the ones that no one has come and and proposed to them. The other one may be those who have never accepted their invitation to be married. They've asked people but everybody has said no. Okay? That's, that's just the, the group there. Now there's another group. Uh, the, the other ones are those who are single due to a divorce. Whether a uh, biblically okayed, if you will, divorce, or one that uh, was unbiblical, doesn't matter. Those who are single due to divorce. Those who are widowed because the spouse has died. They're a single by circumstance. And so you see that the age demographics of this could be those who are well along in their years and those who are uh, new to adulthood. The final one of circumstance are those who are unmarried because of illness or some other limitation that has kept them from being married. 
And so we need to understand that the first category of singleness are those who are there because of other circumstances. Now, the second group that there is are those who are single by choice. Those who are single by choice. Paul and Jesus were not singles because of circumstance. They were singles because of choice. Now, what we need to understand about choice is, is that after a careful deliberation, this individual has chosen not to get married. Why? Well, there's some reasons. Number one, they may prefer the single life on its merits. My grandmother, who just recently passed away, was a widow uh, for over 20 years. And we always used to wonder, will grandma ever get remarried? And what we saw was, was my grandfather died of a, a long battle of emphysema. And it was as if when, when my grandfather finally uh, passed away, and I say that, you know, because it was a long battle, that it was like my grandmother came back to life. She, for so many years, took care of, lovingly took care of my grandfather. And it was like, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. And I don't remember her dating. I don't remember her doing it. She said, this is an opportunity for me just to enjoy life. And so she made a choice while she still was pretty young uh, by today's standards to get remarried. She made a conscious decision that there were other things more important. That's one of them. Number two is that they remain single so that they may serve God more easily. You see this many times, especially amongst uh, men and women who serve on the mission field. That they make a decision, they made a decision early in their lives that they said, God has called me to ministry And so to get involved in marriage creates another dynamic that I don't need to involve myself in, but I'm going to focus in on my ministry with God. This is, of course, the Roman Catholic view of celibacy with the priest. It's not a bad view. The only struggle I have with it is that it's forced upon, okay? That it's, you gotta do this. To serve God in this, this area, you have to be able to say yes to this vow. Celibacy isn't a bad thing. Paul says it's an honorable thing. But we just want to make sure that it's not forced on individuals as a rule. The other thing that we see is that uh, Paul says in the text that they have the gift of singleness. This idea that they're uh, not only desiring to be single, but they have the wherewithal within their spiritual giftings to be able to be like Paul and live as a single individual. The final aspect of that is some are not interested at all when it comes to love and marriage. There are some individuals who say, you know what? It just doesn't do anything for me. There's nothing, you know, I'm just not thinking that way. I'm just not wired that way. And so love and marriage would be an added um, uh, load instead of being uh, a blessing. And so we need to understand there are two categories to this. Now, when I say that, there's important things. Number one, Paul's going to say to the people that are single by circumstance, if you're burning... Meaning, if you are constantly yearning for a desire to be married, if that is your goal, then your number one focus needs to be, um, when it comes to that aspect of your life, is, Lord, I'm open to being married. I desire to be married. I don't think, Lord, that you've given me uh, the, the power and the strength to be unmarried. This is something that I yearn for. You should pursue marriage. It shouldn't be your number one pursuit. Ray Steadman says, uh, a pastor who passed away about, uh, I think it was about 20 years ago, said in a message uh, that uh, we need to stop this frantic and frenzied pursuit of our husbands and our wives. He's right. Marriage isn't the end all, as we've talked about already. 
But then there's a group that says if the Lord is, is, is really working in your heart and because of these many different reasons by choice you make a decision that way, then feel uh, encouraged by the choice you've made. It's a good thing. It's a noble thing. Well, next we see not only does the Bible define the single life, but the Bible defends the single life. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, the other has that. Now, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Now, let's stop there for a moment. Paul is saying that singleness is not the scarlet letter. It is not something that you sit there and every time someone asks you about um, your dating relationships or why or why not you're, you're married, that isn't the issue. Paul is saying once and for all, Village Bible Church, that that isn't the question we need to be asking. The question is we fellowship with one another doesn't need to involve our marital status that whether we are single or whether we are married, it's okay. Now think about this for a moment. Think about if marriage was what singleness is in our culture. And every time you went to any gathering or any involvement, the question would continue to come up, why are you married? Why would you do such a thing? Tim, why would you, would you have a wife and, 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 and have children? And why would you do that? Why wouldn't you be single? And that constant question, that's what the single individual wonders when we ask that time and time again. Paul addresses it. He says there are a couple things. He says, first of all, that singleness is allowable. It is allowable. Paul says in verse 7 that if a single individual desires to be single... It's okay. He says, if you want to be like me, that's okay. Now remember, during that time and culture, there were people that were saying that marriage was it, that you couldn't live any other way. And Paul is saying, as a believer, as a child of God, it is completely allowable for you to do such a thing. What he's doing is, is he's taking time with the people at Corinth and he's elevating singleness. And what a way to elevate it. The one who answers the questions on marriage and love is a single guy. What a way to elevate it. You don't see that very often these days. A single individual telling married people how to act. I almost took a spill there. How to act. That elevates marriage. What that tells me, or elevates, I'm sorry, elevates uh, singleness. What that tells me is, is that single people should have a seat at the table. Single people should be able to speak on all kinds of discussions. They should be able to have a word to parents. They should be able to have a word to husbands and wives. You say, but Tim, they haven't walked in my shoes. They haven't done that. Well, Paul told Timothy that he should never back away from teaching all of God's truth. And that is true for every one of us. I don't have uh, a real knowledge of how to, uh, of, of what it means and, and how to encourage single individuals. I'm not there in my life. But because of God's word, I'm to speak not only, you know, well, this is what I think, but to speak authoritatively on the subject. Paul says it's allowable. Not only does he say it's allowable, but notice what he says. He doesn't stop there. In verse 8, he says it's acceptable. The word acceptable uh, is, is found in the word good in verse 8. It means honorable, acceptable. This, this tells us that Christians who are unmarried are not a second-class group of people. 
What he's saying is, is not only is it okay, meaning, okay, it's not a sin, but it's pretty close to being a sin, and or it's not productive. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, not only is it allowable, but it is acceptable. It's totally fine. It is good. It is honorable to be able to live that way. Not only did Paul, uh, not only was Paul a single man, but he enjoyed being single. There's nowhere where you see that Paul says, Oh Lord, in this jail at Philippi, uh, or in jail in Rome, as I write this letter of joy to Philippi, or the, the letter to my friend Timothy, Lord, allow me to get some, uh, some time out of here so I can go find a spouse. Nowhere does he say that. In fact, he says, I wish everybody was this way. And what he's saying is it, it's cool to be single. This is supposed to be fun, somewhat funny, I guess not. It's good. It's honorable. I'm doing it. Everybody should be single. But then he says, the married individuals remain in the situation that you're in. He's saying this is good. He's saying it's okay to be a part of it. And he gives three reasons why. Very quickly, write these down in your outline. There are three reasons why it is not only allowable but acceptable to be single. We see in verse 26 that singles uh, generally have fewer pressures. Look at verse 26. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Who's he talking to? The unmarried individuals. Now, we don't know what the crisis was, but he's saying that based on the times that we live in, for you who are unmarried, it's, it's, it's better that you remain single. Well, we don't know why. We don't know what the present crisis was. We can assume that what it was, was that it was persecution. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, if we're going to serve our lives for Christ and give our all for Christ, then we need to make sure that uh, if we're going to be married, it's going to add some pressure. It's going to mean that we're worried about the wife and the kids at home. And, and when we're put in prison or when we are beaten up, they're going to worry about us. And so this idea of pressure here is that Paul is saying, hey, I'm single, and that means no one, I don't have to worry about anybody else worrying about me. That pressure isn't there. He was having to write letters to his wife saying, I'm okay. Uh, even though I've been beaten, things will turn out okay. No, he's just writing to the church and saying, I love you, church. I'm serving you, church. And yes, I'm enduring these things, but I don't have a wife or kids that have to worry about it. The next thing that we see is they have fewer problems. Again, this is a general principle. But verse 28 says, um, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. Wow, Paul. What do you mean married individuals are going to have trouble? The idea there is the word troubles means to be pressed together. William Barclay in his commentary on the book of 1 Corinthians says the idea here is compounded trouble. What that means is every one of us, because we are born to trouble, will have troubles in this life. John, I think it's 1633, in this world you will have troubles, Jesus said. So we all carry around what we would call or consider our baggage of trouble. I've got mine, you've got yours. We get married, we double the trouble in the home. Okay? You're living with a sinner, and that sinner is living with another sinner. And that's in the marriage context. And the idea here is that when we gather together as husband and wife, we find ourselves taking on the troubles of the other one. I had a great relationship growing up with my mom and dad. My wife did not. 
Now, I had to wonder, that wasn't a trouble that I faced. That wasn't a problem that I faced. But when I started getting involved with my wife, what became my trouble? My mom, my uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law when it came to the dynamics with their daughter. Okay, so what happens is, is when we get married, we don't just marry the good of one another, but we take on the troubles as well. Paul is saying, I want to spare you from this. If you don't have to take on other troubles, then don't. The final thing that we see is preoccupations, preoccupations in verses 32 through 35. He says, I want you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. And then he goes on and he says the same thing for the wife to the husband. The idea here is for the married individual, can he serve Christ? Yes. Can he serve Christ without having to worry about anything else? No. Because him serving Christ always has to be funneled through the service of his spouse or her spouse. And so as we serve Christ, I'm not serving Christ by myself here in the pulpit, but Amanda is serving with me. If you were to find out that Amanda did not want to be serving with me in this way, I could assure you that a good, healthy church would say it is probably of good that Tim, no matter what his zeal and desire is to preach the Word of God, that his wife is not there, so it is time for them to maybe take some time away. So it's not just my desire to preach and teach, but it needs to be funneled through my wife. A single individual doesn't have to worry about those things. Because a single individual doesn't have to ask, if you will, permission or come to a consensus decision with their boss. If they want to serve Christ and their boss says no, they have the choice to listen to their boss or say, take a hike, boss. Hey, parents, your parents have no authority over you. So if you say, I want to go to Uganda or some far off place or start serving in Detroit or doing some aspect of ministry, you don't have to go and ask for permission from anybody because you're not one with anybody. It's just between you and and God. And so what Paul is saying that it is good to be single because you don't have to worry about all those preoccupations, but you can solely focus on ministry and on your walk with me. And so Paul says it's good. And so he defends the single life. Now he moves on to a third thing, and that is the possible dangers, the possible dangers to living as a single Now remember, Paul says in a couple places, he says marriage is good. But in all those places where he speaks about marriage being good, each and every time he shares that there are dangers to being married. Now some of you would say, yes, there are some dangers to being married. Okay, but it goes beyond that. That whatever relationship we're involved in, whether married or single, there are pitfalls, there are dangers that take place. Paul says in the confines of marriages, he says, hey, husbands uh, are to lead their wives. Wives are to submit to their husbands. And he says, if that doesn't happen, you're going to have issues in your marriage. But to the singles, there's a whole nother set of issues. It isn't that marriage is carefree or being single is carefree, but either one of them carry their own pitfalls and dangers. And because we're talking about singles, let's address them. The first issue that Paul brings up is the danger of sexual sin. In verses 8 and 9, he says, It's good for them to stay unmarried as I am, but if they cannot control themselves... They should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, 
when we hear that, it sounds like he's being a bit degrading, saying you should be single. But boy, if, if you're one of those types of people, then you should get married. Everyone who of us who are married made a decision. It is better to be married than to burn with a passion. And there's this idea that it is sexual passion, but it goes beyond that because none of us got married just for the, the um, release of sexual tension. There was love. There was a desire for friendship and relationship and intimacy. And the idea here, one of the commentaries says, is the totality of that desire. You desire to be engaged in a marital relationship with someone of the opposite sex. And so what Paul is saying is, is, hey, if you can't contain yourself, the word contain in the Greek has to do with the power to control those certain desires. Now, it's in direct correlation. He says the only way you'll be able to do that is in verse 7, that all men would be as Paul, that they have a gift from God. That is the gift of celibacy. Now, that doesn't mean if you have the gift of celibacy, that you don't have any sexual desires whatsoever. But what Paul is addressing is he's saying there is a power, there is a strength that comes with that gifting that allows you to be able to react and respond to sexual temptation differently than others. And that's what Paul is addressing. He's saying, I have this gift that comes from the Lord. One has this gift, the other has that gift. And so Paul says that there is a giftedness that can come to deal with those uh, desires and wants. So if anyone is called to be single, the question they have to ask is, has God called you to a life of singleness? Now this doesn't mean that if you desire to be married, that that is your get out of jail free card, if you will, to say, I will get married. There's no question. God doesn't promise if you want something that you will get it. What God, what, what God is saying through the Apostle Paul is, is that it will be of greater profit to you if you have these desires, these wants, these uh, dreams or pursuits, that you not burn with them. The idea there is constantly aflame. That you're not burning up with them, aflamed with them, but that you pursue marriage. So again, if you find yourself, whatever age you may be, desiring and wanting a marital relationship, then Paul says it's probably profitable for you to start looking uh, for a spouse. And there's nothing wrong with that. Whatever age you agree that that would be at, to pursue those things, it's profitable. He says it's better for you to marry. The second thing that we see, danger we see, is the danger of seclusion. Now this isn't within the text, but it's important for us to remember Just because you have no spouse, just because you have no family, doesn't mean that God has called you to a life of complete seclusion or solitude. He hasn't called individuals to be hermits. Single individuals in our church are some of the greatest ministers uh, within the fellowship of believers. They've got wonderful personalities. They have got wonderful um, ideas for ministry and for life. And so the last thing we would ever want our single individuals to do is to seclude themselves and say, you know what, because our world and especially our culture is a family culture, and because I don't have a family, I've made myself obsolete, so I will not uh, involve myself with anybody. Paul says that every time he talks about singleness, he says it is of good because it can impact others. If your singleness is to keep yourself from everybody else, then you are in fact sinning by being single. 
Your singleness should allow you to embrace the culture around you just as Paul did. The final thing that I want to look at is the final danger, and that is that of self-centeredness, of self-centeredness. We see in the text that it says that uh, Paul is able not to worry about his wife. And the uh, single uh, wife is not having to worry about her husband. But the problem that can come in the life of a single is because you're not married and having to worry about your spouse or your family is that a single individual can focus in on themselves. When you live alone, it's easier for you to be set in your ways, to have your way all the time. Not to have to worry about anybody else. It's far easier. doesn't mean it happens all the time. I'm not accusing this of anyone. But when you are single, it is far easier to forget how to accommodate another's needs. That's why it's of great importance for our singles to be engaged in the fabric of this church and in the fabric of life. So no matter the reason for your singleness, whether by circumstance or by choice, you have to beware of the fit, be, beware of the pitfalls. The single life do, isn't better or worse than marriage. It just comes with a different level of expectations and struggles. The final thing I want to look at with the time I have left is the biblical duties for God's people. No matter where we are in life, we have a job. God has called us to some similar things. Whether married or single, we're all called to be holy. Whether married or single, we're called to be obedient. We're called to be faithful. We're called to be zealous for the faith. We're called to be loving and kind. We are called to give to the church. We are called to be uh, salt and light in this world. But when it comes to interacting in the family of God, there are some differences about who we are. We're from different places in life. We come from different cultures. We have uh, different situations. And God says that in spite of those, we're called to love and care for one another. So I want to close out with just a couple principles for us to live by. For the single, let me start with you. First principle I want you to live by, remember and utilize the advantages of being single. Remember and utilize the advantages of being single. There are great advantages of being single. You have more time. You don't have to worry about a husband or wife and investing time in that relationship or with children. Utilize that time. That what I'm saying is don't just work for us, if you will, but utilize it for the Lord. Build relationships that may be difficult to build when you become married. Involve yourself in things like missions where you don't have to worry about, well, who will take care of the kids or who will uh, do this. Engage yourself in those activities that are beneficial during that time. Number two, realize that no matter your marital status, you are complete in Christ. I am so glad that it, it doesn't matter who I am or what job I have or whether I'm married or not, the moment I bent the knee to Jesus Christ, I became complete in Him. And one of the things I want you to remember is that you are complete in Christ. There is nothing more than you have to do. You're not some second-class citizen of Christ's family. You are complete in Him. You may be um, not a part of the normal, if you will, or the, the majority, that's a better terminology, the majority of the individuals within the church, but that's okay. 
You know, I, I, I grew up in this church and I, I, involved, I was involved in a lot of leadership at a very young age. And a lot of people said, hey, it's odd for a young man like you to be in leadership as you are. And I could have made one of two choices. I could have taken that gift that God had given me and I could have pushed it down and said, you know what? The norm says that older guys are to be elders and a guy in his mid-twenties shouldn't be an elder. So I'm not going to do that. Or I can do what Paul says and not let anybody despise me for my present situation, but be an example of doctrine and godliness to the church around me and to the world around me. Single, you have a opportunity. You can either feel sorry for the situation that you're in, or you can say, God, for whatever reason, or by my uh, volition, my own volition or choice, I've made a decision to be single or I'm in this circumstance, I'm going to live all that I can to be that because I'm complete in you. And I'm not going to let any dumb married person tell me that I'm half an individual. I am complete in Christ. The final thing is you need to recognize you are an important part of this family of God. You're an important part. Just as Paul was of great importance to the church at Corinth, so you are important to us. We want to serve you. We want to be taught by you. We want to be counseled by you. We want you actively a part of our fellowship. We want you involved in all that we do, every fabric of who we are. We don't want you to babysit our kids. We don't want you to serve at the sweetheart's dinner. We want you at the table with us, enjoying Christ and the fullness thereof in, because you are a part of our body. You may not have a husband or wife, but you've got brothers, mothers, fathers, and daughters, brothers and sisters in Christ who want you to serve with you, who want to serve with you, and want to serve you in this family. How about for us the rest? Two things I have for you. Number one, accept unconditionally those who are single. What I mean by this is don't define people by their marital status. Let me say that again. Don't define people by their marital status. The first question you should not be asking when you get involved in a group where there's a single individual is, oh, are you dating? Have you found anybody? That's a dumb question. That's a personal thing. That's like me asking you, are you overdrafted at the bank? <laughs> why and why not? Those aren't questions we ask at the church. What should be the number one thing that we, not that we don't talk about those things, but Paul says that we should be talking with one another about spiritual things. Dating, your dating life is not the spiritual thing that should rise up to the top. Now, if someone offers and says, hey, I'm overdrafted at the bank and I could use some prayer for that, now talk about it. If someone says, hey, um, you know what? I want you to be in prayer uh, for me. I I'm desiring to be married. Let me give you a perfect example. I don't know if she's here today, but I've been in small groups with Ann Kamey for some time. Now, Ann um, has uh, been, remained single. Uh, she's like 27 right now, I'm going to say. just She's older than that. But, uh, but uh, you know what? She came one time, and she was a part of a couple's, quote-unquote, there was nothing that said that, but a, a couple's group. In fact, I loved Anne because we did Marriage on the Rock a couple years ago, and she came to the class, totally single. And she says, I want to learn from the mistakes you guys made, so I'll be a better wife. I said, I like that. That's spunky. Okay? And so what happens? Well, we know, of course, Anne and Darren are getting married, and we're excited about that. But one thing I loved about Anne was she never let her singleness 
keep her from engaging with people. And she came out on one of the first small group nights and she said, you know what? I want to be married. That is the desire of my heart. And I don't know if God's going to answer that prayer, but I want to be married. And that was probably four years ago that that request took place. And it's only now that she's uh, found Darren and, and getting married. But she was open about that. If that's where your heart's at, let us, let us pray for you in that way. It's not because you've got some plague or something like that. God, for whatever reason, hasn't brought that to fruition. We want to pray in regards to that. But we only do that, church, when they open it up for us. Okay? Number two, don't assume that singles want to be separate from others. This has to do with our small groups. This has to do with our fellowships. This has to do with our hospitality. Don't think, well, what married couple can we invite over? That's like saying that if you have small children, the only people you can invite are people with small children. Some of the best people to invite that really enjoy all that yelling and clamor are people that don't have children at that age anymore. We need to show hospitality to one another. We need to be a people of God, not the married people of God and the single ones. And finally, how about for all of us? It's a very simple command. Show affection to one another. Love one another as Christ loved us. Christ's love for us wasn't because we had something or because we did something, but it was because of his unmerited love and favor for us. Show that kind of affection with one another. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, I pray for those in our midst today whether by circumstance or by choice, find themselves as the theme of Paul's writing this morning. Father, I pray that you would speak a special word to them. Father, there are those who are yearning with great anticipation a time where they will find a spouse. Keep them pure, keep their eyes on you, and keep them focused in on your word. Father, I pray that they would be a people who are set apart for you and would make their marital status a secondary issue, not the one first and foremost in their lives. Number two, Lord, I pray for those who by choice find themselves as a single individual. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to them in a new and profound way, that, Father, they would know that they need nothing in this world but you. Remind us who are married of that fact. Lord, if we had nothing but you, we have more than we could ever ask for or imagine. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would love our single brothers and sisters with a great affection. That, Lord, there would be no distinction, no Jew, Gentile, married, unmarried, old, young, black, white. Lord, uh, um, those who are rich, those who are poor, Lord, those who are parents, those who are not, that there would be no distinction among us, that we would not show that kind of hypocrisy that can destroy the world, that we would live as you did. You associated with those who were high in position, low in position. You associated with those who were married and those who were single. Father, your love sees no uh, distinction. And Lord, I pray that for the Village Bible Church here. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Refocus us as we continue to look to your word to shape how we live with one another. We love you and we praise you. Lord, send us off from this place as we go in fellowship. Let us live out this idea of singleness and marriage, that we would live in such a way that we would show the love that you've shown and that we would do it as we leave today. 
And all God's people said, Amen.